Okay, so without further ado, uh, we'll spend the first few minutes quieting our mind and settling it. Before we say the homage to Shakyamuni Buddha, let's take a few minutes in cultivating the merit field with Buddha Shakyamuni in the center. And however, however elaborate you go in terms of bringing in other figures such as Buddha's disciples through the ages to the present, Time, or you visualize just the Shakyamuni and think of him as the essence of all the merit fields in one. However, you, you are comfortable in doing it, bring one's attention to the inner qualities of the merit fields. In the case of Buddha, all the qualities in full consummate blossoming, in full consummate awakening, all integrated in such a way that each one of them informs the other fully, thus leaving no room for any of the negativities or lapses to ever creep in. This is usually called its two main qualities of all-knowing and all-compassionate, out of which comes all capability, all capable in terms of meeting the needs of sentient beings as long as they meet the conditions on their part ever, ever motivated to help out. Try to, try to think of ways by which we, even after more than 2,500 years of his coming, we still benefit from his teachings, his examples, and how big a difference the teachings, the insights, the awakenings, the understandings bring to our life. Of course, through the medium of the lineage masters to the present. 
think of those qualities and feel inspired. Generate them to follow in its footsteps. Generate those qualities within oneself, knowing how we share the same basic conditions that made it possible for him to be fully awakened. And then think of ourselves being surrounded by fellow sentient beings. Think of sentient beings across the board as our fellows, as someone we are close, we are close to, both in terms of what we share, as well as in terms of our dependence, not just in this life, throughout the lives, which will continue all throughout, even after becoming Buddha, our dependence on the sentient beings will still be there in terms of who they become is still always due to sentient beings. Think along these lines and try to develop a sense of affinity with the sentient beings. And then looking at our predicaments, the shared predicaments, not just in the immediate time, but even going forward, so long as we remain trapped in this bondage to afflictions, karma, sufferings that they entail. None of us share any bright future. Yet how each and every moment of our being, in whatever forms, in whatever conditions, so long as we are open to each other, we are always there for each other, both physically and otherwise. Thinking along these lines, develop a sense of empathy, growing into a sense of compassion, a sense of concern, wishing our situations would be better, and going forward, the future would be much more stable. And then looking at our own present fortunate condition, how it is. becoming of us to take more responsibility
in being of greater benefit and help to all sentient beings, not just in the present time, but going forward, really making a difference. That is fortunate condition that we all are in can provide. Thinking along these lines, let's say the homage of the Shakyamuni Buddha together, and wherever pertinent, let's generate those attitudes, appropriate attitudes going to the Shakyamuni Buddha and the merit field, as well as to the sentient beings. Hold the attitude of Bodhicitta that we have just reflected on and cultivated. Wishing all sentient beings, without exception, to be free from their sufferings. And towards that end, one is willing to take the responsibility, shoulder the responsibility in pursuing the goal of full awakening, so that one could deliver on this aspiration to be of utmost benefit to all sentient beings. We all have Buddha nature, the potential to become fully awakened, like the historical Buddha did, and many other Buddhas did. Usually, habituation in afflictions, being in, in the company of bats, bad friends, Being in a desperate, destitute situation where one would have no privilege of thinking other than just meeting the immediate needs. Or being under the control of someone in such a way that one doesn't have any freedom whatsoever. However, may, one way may be wishing things to be otherwise. No way to be of any effect to that. Those are usually conditions counted among hurdles, obstacles in the way of
activating one's Buddha nature. I don't think any one of us here has any of the last three conditions, habituation and afflictions, I don't think as much as others, particularly those in the animal realms, others may be going through. Besides that, we have all taken the stand against the afflictions by knowing its ill designs, its completely unfounded stories that we have been so carried away by up until now, but now we are beginning to expose this. So none of those four conditions mentioned in the scriptures apply to us anymore, if at least in a very strong way. We should rise to this occasion, understand it for its value, how fleeting it can be, and thus resolve to use this in a much more befitting, meaningful way than just squandering away on trivial things of very, very limited meaning, if at all. And to further improve on our ways of utilizing this moment, this time, this life that we have, although we do not know how long it will still remain like this, to be able to make better use of it, improvement, bringing improvement in how we utilize it, see deeper its values, promises. One has to listen to Dharma, sharings, from each other. And thus use this session as one form of doing that and feel determined to make the most use of this life that one has of privilege, fortune, freedom, before it slips away from us. The best ideal that we could have before us. We're so fortunate to be hearing, listening, and reading about it almost 
several times a day, namely the motivation of bodhicitta. Let's make this our motivation for this session and beyond. Welcome once again to this uh, another session of SNBN, <laughs> SNN and BNN. I'm honored to be filling in for Venerable while she's away for this session, and uh, we'll do a review of what Venerable covered last time. Uh, could someone tell me which which page we are in? Here's a mark. I see, yes. 296, right? Pardon? That, that's where we got, yeah. So we'll do a review of this topic, very important topic, Buddha nature. Well, we should be open to how we want to translate this term translate this concept into English. Buddha nature, we are so familiar with it, but outside of us, when some when we say we have Buddha nature, what would that convey? <laughs> so we have to be open to that and be very skillful in conveying the concept to others who are interested, who may be interested, and also for ourselves to not just be caught up in the word of it, but go beyond that. So we're looking at page 291, the chapter on Buddha nature, chapter 13. I will not necessarily read. Let's do a general overview of it. As we may remember from the previous, ses previous session, as well as several other sessions up until now, that uh, the concept of Buddha nature, in the way it is presented here, particularly as a quality that is pervasive to all sentient beings, It's, that concept is only promoted when, from a philosophical tenet point of view, when we come to the Chitta Matra school, not after that, not below that. In the Vaibhashaka and Sautantrika systems, they do not call it Buddha nature, nor do they, they do not call it Buddha nature, and nor do they have any concept of something that is pervasive to all 
sentient beings necessarily. In a way, it has to be earned, I think. I think in some way, earned, of course, on the basis of something, even something present there, but has to be earned to be, to be recognized as something that potential enough to kind of really make a big, big difference in one's life. And I think, like with any topic that is dealt with, that is through this ladder of, through this ladder of progressive ladders of progressive rungs of this philosophical ladder in the form of these four schools, very uh, typical of the way they treat these particular topics. They do the same thing with Buddha nature also, and I think there is something to be learned. First, it is dealing with this concept of something in us that needs to be valued, that needs to be nurtured, recognized, nurtured, developed, so that it could really bring a real difference in the way we really deeply aspire for. And thus, presenting it something to be already present there, no matter what, would not be that effective, that beneficial. But then eventually that understanding could be deepened in really, with the interest already raised, one could then deepen that understanding and then see that, uh, yes, the seed is there with us. But before that, uh, and, and, also, uh, and also, when we begin in our spiritual awakening, spiritual search, spiritual journey, we begin with less understanding. We begin with less information, less experience. Uh, at the most, we would have an urge, longing, but beyond that, we would have not much to really uh, kind of bank on, to really kind of depend on, rely on. So likewise, it is presented here in the Vaibhashika, in the Sotantraka system, where it says that look at the qualities that you see in people, mainly drawing from their merely mainly drawing from their situation of how much they are subject to desire, discontentment, or how much they are kind of uh, able to handle that, able to moderate on that level. And those are kind of pointed that quality of contentment, that quality of less susceptibility to attachment, desire, is kind of uh, identified in terms of uh, how attached one is to one's shelter, how attached one is to one's sustenance, how attached one is to one's clothing. And then one could ex extend from there, uh, wherever one's main uh, area is of being attached to. 
very often people would have all of those situations, all of those qualities, all of those uh, facilities in in plenty, and thus would have desire even for more, and then desire for others, else things such as name, fame, power, etc., image. So, so at this level of recognizing something that needs to be developed, that needs to be nurtured, unless you do so, not much of a big transformation can be hoped for in terms of making a big, a real change, real uh, transformation. That needs to be kind of recognized at a, at a level that is uh, relatable, that's understandable, and uh, identifiable, right? So that's why at this level, by way of a quality, by way of a potential to make big difference, at this level of the Buddha's teaching, all rooted in some sutras, have their sources in sutras. At this level, uh, it's pointing out to something that's identifiable in terms of people's behavior and attitude. And then, so by, by way of th these qualities as, uh, as we see here on page 292, Yeah, qualities. In the second paragraph, it identifies number one to three and number four, right? One's satisfaction or contentment with whatever food or drink one has, contentment with whatever shelter one has, and contentment with whatever, not necessarily robes, but it could be any dress or clothing. Like in the case of Milareva, all he had was just two. Uh, rags, one to put up on the upper body and the one to the lower body. And His Holiness, you, you very often uh, very often uh, suggests that the kind of rag that Milarepa had was such in such a shattered form that nobody would Wanted. Nobody would have any use for that. So he was so content with that kind of a drag. <laughs> so, uh, and that thus that will save him so much of energy going into it into something more positive, right? So likewise, to the degree we are content with whatever we have, we could then set aside whatever remaining energy, attention. Uh, space we have into something more positive. And then the fourth one is the most important one among these qualities specified there, that is taking joy in meditation and in overcoming what is to be abandoned, namely the afflictions, right? So this inner quality, deep-seated, more deeper inner quality of uh, taking joy in meditation, having seen the benefits of it, and then also finding a very clear direction that meditation has to be geared towards overcoming the afflictions in having an upper hand over the afflictions. On that basis, if one trains in this contentment and uh, restraining on one's desires, 
those are identified as qualities that can promise some uh, considerable change in for the better. So those are considered as the potentials for being a better being, even to the level of being an Arya, being a noble, noble being, able to see things much deeper and thus be able to uh, make uh, the most sensible use of one's time in the most positive way. So those are identified as what is called the, what is Venerable calls here, potentials of the Pak, oh yeah, the, the Arya disposition. Pakpe Rikshi, Arya, the Arya disposition. By the way, Tibetan term for the, what we are calling nature disposition is Rik. Rik, and in some cases it seems to uh, convey this understanding of type. Type, just as we speak of archetype, of someone having the type of a bent kind of a, in kind of a, yeah, kind of a bent towards becoming Arya. So those are identified as uh, the qualities to look for and to develop. And and it and because of that, it it says that that promise of becoming an Arya and thus becoming making a big difference in one's prospect of joy and happiness is not something that can be taken for granted by everyone. It's something that needs to be worked on. It's something that needs to be earned by. And thus, it, at this level of the teaching, it doesn't even say that it's present to everyone. Some could be completely missing out on it. And these are rec recognized as the Rick, the types, the Arya, the Arya's type, the Arya's trait, the Arya's disposition. Yes. Yeah, please. In the mean, in the middle of our discourse uh, exchange, uh, please feel free to ask any questions if you have. Pardon? It's, is it falling? Okay, <laughs> I'm holding it. <laughs> yes. I heard the um, explanation of Rick as caste. Is there such a connotation? Yeah, in a in a very uh, mundane level, in a mundane, uh, particularly in the Indian society context, yes, that's also the term used for caste also. But this that is not the intention here at all, because you can see how there's no such difference on the on on difference being made on that line, on caste line. It's not saying. Uh, it, it is kind of limited to how and where one is born, in what family one is born. Rather, in that respect, this quality could be much more widespread, uh, not confined to any kind of a caste system, any kind of a family profession, none of that. But yeah, you are right. Tibetan term rik used here is also the same term for caste also. Not at all, not at all. Here it is not me at all. Yeah. So that's why it's 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 always called 
barbaric, the Arya's type, Arya's disposition. So the trait or disposition to become Arya, to rise to a level of Arya wood. So in the, and then as we move up to the Chittamatra, well, in this, in this case, we can speak of how uh, at this level, they even speak of someone who could be completely uh, missing out on such a trait or such a, uh, such a uh, disposition. Uh, not by virtue of their birth or not by virtue of anything, uh, but by virtue of their having not made any, any effort. And that makes sense. It's kind of a way to uh, encourage beings to to make effort, uh, particularly in line with the Buddhist outlook of how, uh, in terms of making, in terms of making or bringing individual transformation, it has to be earned by one's own deed of hard work and uh, pursuance. Buddhas, even if they want it, and they are very uh, motivated by their love, undivided uh, love and compassion, they can only do so much. And the most they can do, although with some exceptions, all the most they can do is by teaching, by showing their path. But whether we listen to or connect with, those are dependent on us. So I see a purpose in kind of making this classification of beings into so-called five categories. Those, the three with definite uh, disposition into becoming either Buddha or Sharavaka, Arhat or solitary realizer arhat, or someone who is independent, not yet decided in terms of where one is heading, but uh, nonetheless have that uh, un unshaped, unmolded quality in them. And then someone who may not have that uh, quality in them, the quality may be missing in them, either temporarily or, in a very strong word, permanently. So this is a, a, what we call interpretive teaching, to resonate with people at uh, the beginning level, where people have less difficulty in, in connecting with these teachings, in uh, making sense of this, uh, uh, either they agree with it or not, but kind of understanding it. And then, and then think for themselves in, in making a change or not. So I remember very clear, clearly when I first came across this teaching, because at the monastery, we pursued these teachings 
almost literally like it is presented step by step. So for a while, we wouldn't have heard of emptiness at all. For several years, we wouldn't have heard of it, at least in a deeper sense of really getting to immerse into it. No, it could be just heard, oh, oh, very often, since we would be mingling with our classmates, with, either in the classes, having lessons, or in the debating courtyard, or in prayers, whatnot, we'll be all together. Uh, and thus, we'll be kind of confined to whatever we were exposed to at that level. So when I first came across this, I was kind of really shocked. Could it be me? And that really made me think, seriously, for myself. Do I really love myself, care for myself? If so, I needed to do something <laughs> to earn this. Things cannot be taken for granted. So likewise is the case with other uh, teachings. So we kind of really virtually move from this uh, progressive step-by-step uh, -step level and thus do not get exposed to the others. But here we hear from uh, different perspectives altogether. We do not pursue a particular uh, curriculum, but but the way we are being exposed to is 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 kind of from all angles, and thus that kind of a danger is not there. But the same, uh, uh, what do you call, a lesson is there in terms of uh, even even with the understanding that we have the Buddha nature. In us, irrespective of what, unless we make efforts, there is not going to be any change. We have remained like this from a Buddhist perspective for these many lifetimes. Yeah, in the scripture, even in the scripture, in a, I think in a sutra or in a shastra. By the way, when I say sutra, those are the words of the Buddha. But the words of the Buddhas are not always to be taken literally. That's the beauty of his teaching, but sometimes quite shocking. <laughs> but and the shastras are the commentary, Indian Indian commentaries, commentarial works on Buddha's words by the Indian masters. So we in the Tibetan community we respect the works of the Indian masters so much so that their works are called by this separate name, Shastra. The Tibetan names, when we speak of sutra, sutras and shastras, we do not include Tibetan texts in it. <laughs> in a very liberal way, we may say this, those are tenju, those are Tibetan works are tenju, the Tibetan works are shastras, but in a very conservative sense, we do not include them as, as shastras. We kind of think of them as another the next level of works. So I've, I've, I've seen this question raised in either in a sutra or in a shastra, saying, so many Buddhas have already come, and we have been around for this countless, countless time. What is to blame that we have not made any change? But we are for sure laziness. 
when you open laziness in so many different forms, busy laziness, right? So busy that you don't have any time for anything, anything less important. <laughs> so busyness. Sometimes business could be laziness. Sometimes busy busyness can be laziness. <laughs> laziness. So, in response to that, this this particular uh, category of four obstacles in our way of transforming into 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 areas is laid out. One is in the works of Asanga Arya Asanga, in his work called the ornament of sutras. And I think he must have drawn this from a sutra, from, from actual sutras. As he called them, ornament of sutras, he collects them from the sutras and then kind of uh, uh, put them in order in, in an, and organize them in an orderly way, where he comes up with these four uh, obstacles, so-called obstacles, which uh, we have succumbed to and thus have uh, left behind. And at this point, uh, we are lucky to at least uh, begin to wonder what are the causes to make a difference and willing to make effort in bringing the changes required. So that's this is time where this is the make or break time. <laughs> make or break time. This is this cannot be taken as taken for granted to come about again and again. Even actually, when we think of the the the, the, the causes and conditions they go into making this happen, we really. at all at this happening and really wonder if this could come any next time or not. And thus one has to kind of recognize those obstacles and then see whether one has them or not, if so, in what degrees and how to make changes. Because by working against them, by addressing them yourself, is undertaking the Dharma, Dharma practice. Particularly working with the afflictions. That kind of sums up the entirety of the Dharma practice. And I've always been saying that has been my entry point to the Dharma. Dharma, why not do it? Because it's all about working, addressing our afflictions. And afflictions which knows for sure, for sure, it's the obstacle. It's the one main, if not the only obstacle in the way of our being genuinely happy, joyful, and peaceful. And it counts habituation into afflictions as the first and foremost obstacle in our way of becoming any different than we have all along been except for now, a slight difference, but even there is no guarantee. <laughs>
whether we are going to seize this opportunity in really making sure this this kind of a this kind of a rebirth, this kind of a birth is going to be continuously obtained or not. Among the other obstacles counted, one was bad company, bad company. And that doesn't necessarily have to be always thought of in a physical sense, where we could blame others, saying, it's because of you that I'm in that company. We could be in our bad company with our own mental thoughts also. What we surround ourselves with, what kind of thoughts we surround ourselves with and we indulge in, we kind of give the most uh, attention to. Those are as bad, even worse, bad companies. We kind of create those companies for ourselves. And then if we engage in negative actions continuously, particularly uh, indulge in anger anger and hatred in particular, and then to self-centeredness as the main breeding ground for these afflictions. If we indulge in them, then yes, the resultant state of being would be even worse. And thus, situations where we will be desperate and completely destitute, and in one, in and completely destitute in one thing, and thus never ever getting enough to get by, so that one could put one's attention to something else. That could also happen out of this subservience to afflictions. So. At this level, at this level of uh, addressing this possibility or not of making any change, any difference, any change, even here also, it is accepted that the sentient beings have this mental quality of which the afflictions have not entered into the very nature of the mind. It's quite interesting. Being sentient, we have mind, and the mind, by its very nature, is, is not, uh, not affected uh, by the afflictions, no matter how strong, uh, how, how, how strong you have of them. I found this quite interesting. Because despite such a basic, very basic uh, favorable condition within oneself, uh, and it's quite telling that 
even if one has such a very basic, important, significant uh, quality of being embedded with the mind, that by nature is clear and and uh, pure, uh, no matter how much how much afflictions one may be succumbing to, they would have never made any inroad into the very nature of the mind, so much so that without severing the mind, you wouldn't get rid of the afflictions. The situations cannot get that, that worse for any of the sentient beings. Nonetheless, uh, at this very level, uh, that aspect of our being is not touched. Rather, because that is a little too uh, deep for people that uh, this, what do you call unsophisticated level to kind of connect with it, to make sense, to kind of understand it. That's why uh, these dispositions, area dispositions, are spoken of at much more, uh, what do you call, grosser and superficial external level. Then when we move to the Chitamatra, One has to understand that in the Chitamatra they they present the Buddha nature. I mean this 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 discussion about something in you that can really make change, even if one doesn't have one doesn't see the change happening now, but kind of really banking our hope on something that's already there that one doesn't need to work anew. It's very important, and one way or the other that's being conveyed here in uh, in uh, accordance with how much people at their given levels are open to. So that's what one could see, this variety of philosophical schools with a variety of approaches and reasonings whatnot as a, a very skillful means of presenting a, what you call a mosaic of possibilities, options to kind of connect to. So at the Chitamatra level, at the Chitamatra level, they kind of begin to speak of how this kind of quality is uh, present in everyone, how everyone has has a chance, if you will, has a chance to make a difference, to make change. If only they're willing to and caring to explore further, given that all of us, irrespective, has some kind of a quality within us, irrespective. And that's how, from the Chitamatra upward, they begin to call this Buddha nature, even to become fully awakened Buddha. But at the same, at the same time, uh, we will come across teachings at this level of what is usually called the uh, three final, three final, three final vehicles. Three final vehicles. Yeah, Three final vehicles, uh, which means three vehicles, three vehicles for people to get into <laughs> that will take to different destinations. 
And once you get taken into one of those destinations, there's no other choice but to be with that destination, be contented with that. <laughs> so they, that's why they are called three final vehicles. Three final vehicles, not only the vehicles are final, but where they lead to are final. <laughs> it's it's the it's this Buddha disposition in Chidamadra is a conditioned phenomena, which is an other power nature. So it's not um what the emptiness of the mind that's only in Madhyamika. So it's it's uh it's impermanent, according to Chidamara. Yes, one thing. Yeah, the question was, uh, usually we are so used to hearing that the naturally abiding Buddha nature, we wish, the moment we begin to speak of Buddha nature in this very widespread, all-present level, we all at the same time speak of two types of it, two categories within it. One is called naturally abiding Buddha nature. The other one is called transformative Buddha nature. So at the same time, when we speak of naturally abiding Buddha nature, we are so used to thinking of it as something uncompounded along the line of the emptiness nature of the mind, along the line of yeah, along the line of emptiness nature of the mind. Of the... So we're so used to thinking of it being uncompounded. And there is something about it being uncompounded that, that yes, yes, it cannot break. <laughs> it cannot break easily of its own. So what is a little shocking and different in the Chitamatra level, although they speak of Buddha nature, they have started speaking of Buddha nature. There two, in those two lines, of naturally abiding one and the transformative one. But in their case, both of them are compounded phenomena. Both of them are compounded phenomena, because if you say the naturally abiding Buddha nature is compounded, then there's no there's no other way but for the transformative one as well to be compounded. It is nothing but the continuation of it. Because we have heard from Venerable suggesting very clearly that in the in the Chitamatra system, what they identify what they identify as Buddha nature is quite problematic. Of course, from looked at from the Prasangika point of view and from a general Buddhist perspective also. They speak of they speak of what they call what Venerable is translating as seed of unpolluted, pristine wisdom. And this seed has these three qualities. Look at page 293 in the last paragraph where it lists the three qualities, three qualities that are present in this so-called naturally abiding Buddha nature, Buddha disposition. One is it has existed since beginningless time. It shouldn't be a big surprise for us Buddhists to speak of beginningless time. We have been speaking of beginningless time. One time I yeah, I shared this with you. One, one time I was having discussion with fellow philosophers. Fellow philosophers, I'm referring to Western philosopher professors that I happen to work with. 
and we kind of bonded ourselves as philo philosophers. <laughs> so as philosophers, we spoke and confided in each other, and one of them uh, took, took the opportunity and asked me, there must be something nagging in you. There must be something. Tell us about yeah, something nagging, something that you're uncomfortable with from a Buddhist perspective. Tell us. Well, I thought for a while, and it wasn't that easy, difficult to come up with. I said, this thing about beginningless, it's, it, it's a problem in one way, but at the same time, I don't see any other better option. I don't see a direct reasoning to approve, to say that it, things should be beginningless. But at the same time, um, the alternative, at least from my Buddhist band of mind, from my Buddhist band of mind, to say that things have a beginning, per se, where they would have come out from, come from nowhere at a certain point. That's difficult. And that's why this option is worse than the beginningless. That's how I opt, I choose this. And I don't think I can wrap around it and get full understanding of it until I become fully awakened. Then I might think, oh, okay, that was a skillful means of the Buddha, and there was no other way out of it until you make it through the Buddhahood, and then you don't have to worry about anything. <laughs> oh, that could still be the correct thing, the right thing, even when you uh, become fully awakened. Actually, now you have a better land, better understanding of it. Aha! It is... So I told him that, along with saying the option, the, the alternate is even worse. And he called it painfully true. <laughs> My fellow philosopher said, this is painfully true. So, yeah, I, I remember very clearly, really looking in deep into scriptures, searching really, if there are other ways of saying this, then beginningless, beginningless, beginningless. No, even Buddha had to resort to beginningless. I kind of settled on it. He's saying, irrespective of whether that's the truth or not, for now, that's the best that even the Buddhas could come up with. And for us, luckily, we have a handle on it, saying that the, the alternate, is even worse. <laughs> because if you could say that anything comes from nothing, why could that one thing or, if, or many things be exception? Why doesn't it happen now? So then people are diverse. They have their very different philosophical bend of mind, and some feel very comfortable with such kind of understanding. And uh, I even saw some, uh, I haven't had the opportunity to look really deep and study them, but I saw um, defense, reasonings in defense of, 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 of a beginning. <laughs> 
So anyway, so they speak of these three qualities. It has existed since beginning of time. And in a way, it, it should not be that difficult for us with the Buddhist bent of Buddhist bias, <laughs> philosophical bias, to accept this. But at the same time, even, even logically, we can say that anything, just about anything you can land your hand on, if you speak of a beginning per se, that would be problematic. Even for this thing also, in terms of the material that's gone into making it, we cannot say there was a beginning per se. If there were, then that thing would not, would have come would have to come from nowhere. If that's possible for that thing, how couldn't this also come about without any causes? So beginning per se, sometimes I call it the cause par excellence, which would have no cause of its own, but has but being but is the cause of anything coming after. Yeah. So it's not a mind because it's carried. Oh, uh, I see. I see. It's I not carried. It's carried by. I see. Know, I see. Yeah. The, so it's but it is uh, our other power nature. So but it's not a non-associated composite. So I'm. Can you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Thank you for being patient. Uh, I need to go into it. Yes. First, the 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 three qualities laid out for this for this thing within us that is identified as Buddha nature at this level, at the Chittamatra level, which is considered to be prevalent. Yeah, prevalent to all? I don't know. Okay, anyway, anyway let's look at this. It has existed since beginningless time and countless, and continues from one life to the next uninterruptedly. Yeah. It is not newly created, but is naturally present. When I was first studying it, 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 it sounded like a really arbitrary, philosophically arbitrary argument here. But now I can see that, it, depending on how we define newly created, uh, we can always come up with some aspect of something, everything, any, everything, anything, uh, that would have no beginning, that could be traced beginning this time. This particular thing with this particular shape could be said to have a beginning, but in terms of what goes into making it, that could not have a beginning, per se, in terms of material. Materially, they cannot be a beginning. Substantially, they cannot be a beginning. And what would you call? Um, Structure-wise, form-wise, they could be a beginning. Function-wise, they could be a beginning. But otherwise, they cannot be. With anything, including mind. If it is the case with the physical things, what can we? What more can we expect of my, my mental mind? Mental things, yeah. It is carried by the foundation consciousness, depending on which school, which uh, yeah, yeah. It's foundation consciousness according to Chittamatra, scriptural proponent, the sub-school of Chittamatra, scriptural proponent, and by the mental, the sixth consciousness according to the Chittamatra reasoning proponent. That's a sub-school sub within it. So, coming to these three qualities. One is, it has existed since beginningless time, and continues from one life to the other. And then it is not created anew at any given time. And it's naturally present. And it's carried. And now, what it is in the form of? It is in the form of a seed. It is in the form of a 
well, uh, yeah, seed. It is in the form of a seed. It's in the form of a latency. But latency with a with a with a catch. Latency not laid by any consciousness, because that means it would have a beginning as a latency. A latency. This is a latency of a difference. Most of the latencies we speak of are latencies laid laid out by a consciousness, but this one is never led by any consciousness. No, it, okay, let me. <laughs> okay. So where is the compounded characteristic of this? Yes, the compounded character is because it is a seed. <laughs> it is a seed. It is so compounded. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's what she called, what Venerable Pema called other powered. In that is particularly in doing with the terminology of the Sita Matras. They divide up all phenomena into three three categories, right? So what are those uh other powered, imputed, thoroughly established. Uh, yeah. <laughs> of yeah. So this 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 particular seed is a seed of a difference, a unique seed, and a seed never having been laid by a prior prior consciousness. And nor ever, nor ever, nor ever manifesting into any consciousness. It is called the seed of a seed of the what is that? Uh, where is it? A seed of unpolluted pristine wisdom, right? Unpolluted pristine wisdom. So unpolluted pristine wisdom, one could begin to have from the path of seeing onward, all the way to the Buddhahood. One could have unpolluted pristine wisdom. Okay. So, of course, before becoming up until one has become Buddha, this would always remain as a seed. Never, ever itself. Those always support as though always serving as a support system to give rise to other pristine wisdoms, but it never itself gets manifested or ripened into into a manifest consciousness and, and, and no more be a seed. It is always. It has always been, and it's always it always remains. So long as it remains, it remains as a seed. When does it seed? When does it seed to be? When one achieves full awakening. Even then, also we cannot say it has now manifested into a in, into a active conscious phenomena. It would. Have, in a way, you could say it would have done. It would have served its purpose. Now it's no, there is no no use for it anymore. It just leaves us when one becomes fully awakened. <laughs> purpose, pardon? Oh, it propels us until the Buddhahood, all the final final awakening. All the latencies, all the. But one has to understand. <laughs> but one has to understand that this is 
Chitramatra, have patience. <laughs> but we had to go through this painful process without being told about what the Prasangika is, what the hidden uh, deeper meaning is, kind of really went step by step and kind of every step kind of going, whoa, whoa. <laughs> You thought that you got it, the one. Yes, please. Geshe-la, yeah. Can I will ask a very weird question? How come there's only seats of the Buddha, but there's no seats of the Arahat? Pardon? Why there is a seats Buddha nature, but there's no Arahat nature? It is included in it. If one could become Arahat, Buddha, then on the way you have to have to become Arahat. Necessarily, it's included in it. Yeah, it doesn't say seed of these and these and this. It has reached to the highest possibility, and all the rest of the becoming's possibilities are all included in it. Yeah, so that's why I was saying even becoming an Arya before becoming Arhat, Arya also. Yeah, the pristine, unpolluted pristine wisdom comes from the uh, path of seeing onward. So yes, earlier we touched touched about touched on the 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 concept of definite vehicle. Yeah, definite vehicle, where we, where we speak of three definite vehicles. From the from the Prasangika Madhyamika point of view, we only speak of one final vehicle. Although we speak of three vehicles, but in terms of final, there's only only one final. That is Buddhahood, which means. Not only people can reach the uh, arhatship of the other vehicles, but even there also, one will still have the one will still uh, have the prospect and uh, the um, potential to becoming fully awakened. So that has not, that has, by reaching an arhatship, one has not hit the, the maximum potential of oneself. Nor does one, nor does one uh, see it, nor does one uh, enter into uh, nirvana of non-residual. Nirvana of becoming, of becoming into nothing. Pardon? Yeah, arhatship without remainder is an oxymoron. If, if, they, if they are arhat, they cannot be without remainder. If they are without remainder, they are nothing. If they are nothing, how can they be arhat? So one may say one has achieved the arhatship of no remainder, but there's no one there to achieve it. It's a state of, it's a state of, it's a state of, not even a state of being, if at all, a state of no being. Pardon? Very 
I'm, I'm so relieved you said Chitramatra view. You opened the discussion to Chitramatra view and Pasanki Amadamika view. Yeah, so from the Chitramatra view, particularly the Chitramatra subset of scriptural proponent, from their view, not of the reasoning proponent. From the Chitramatra, from the scriptural proponent perspective, they, they still cling to this three final vehicles. And these, these are something that you could find in the sutras, Buddha taught them, but they are not to be taken as definitive, they are interpretive. So many of the differences that we find between Pali and Sanskrit traditions, not that what, what the differences are, those are all, not that they are not traceable in the, Buddha, in the, in the, in the sutras, they are traceable. Buddha himself spoke that diverse teaching to different beings of different dispositions, whatnot, including the one that I really like, where he said, "Father and mother are to be killed." Right? Oh, that was so. That was so to the point at that person, to that person, at that point of time but not to others. <laughs> father and mother are to be killed. He was so worried that he had killed his father, and he had killed the father who was also a arhat, and thus had really accrued very, very heinous crimes. And he was so worried and desperate. At the time when he, when he, ex when he uh, carried out those crimes, he was not at all regret regretful. He was for it, with full force, with, with encouragement from his uh, ministers and whatnot, and with, with his attachment to the throne that he had all in his eyes. But once he did it, and over time, it didn't come. The reckoning didn't come that e easily. But when he did, he was so desperate. Even as a king, he was not finding even the slightest peace. It's so, so it's it's so uh, eye-opening to see a king. Like likewise, they could be president, uh, ministers, whatever, being that high and uh, what do you call high achiever, high achieved uh, position, etc., etc. But not finding the slightest peace within them. How mind really is the ultimate thing that really matters, irrespective of what physical situation you are in. So this king was going through that situation. When I'm seeing this king, almost like with a visual thing, I have seen the Buddha uh, movie with the TV series, some 59 series, which I watched on my iPhone. Two times on the iPhone, one time during the pandemic on a big screen. I was having a very different experience when the entire world was going through the pandemic. <laughs> of course, I was in and out from that, but yeah, they have depicted it in such a spectacular way that it was so obvious. So to, to this king, who eventually listened to his advisors to go to Buddha, who, whom he has been completely opposing to. 
who he has been completely opposed to, beginning from when he was with his father or whatnot. And when he did, the Buddha told him, What? Did you say you killed your father? You killed your father who was an Arab? What is there to regret about? <laughs> you did the best thing. You did the best thing. He not only said the king, the father is to be killed, the mother is to be killed. Father Mani says, kings are to be killed, their attendants are to be killed, the entire empire is to be killed. And who does, who achieves it is the most perfect person. He's a noble person. He heard it. He didn't believe in the Buddha, but he heard it. And he couldn't really believe what he heard. And he checked with Buddha, is this what I heard from you? Buddha said, yes. <laughs> you heard me correctly. <laughs> then he had to go back to his palace and then think about it. No, Buddha could not have said this. But I checked with him. He confirmed it. How could this be? At least he was already relaxed. He was already relaxed. That's how it is on the spot. Wow. And then he went, later on when he was calm, quiet, could think clearly, then he went to Buddha. Did you say this? Yes. Did you really mean father ought to be killed? Should I go after people and kill them? No. What I meant by father is this ignorance. What I meant by mother is this attachment. Those are to be killed, except I quoted them in these forms. Wow. Now he had the space to digest them. Otherwise he was completely blocked up by his despair earlier by his hatred, anger, attachment, but now with his despair, desperate, despair, hopelessness, whatnot, completely blocked out. There was no way anything could go in through in him, except for this kind of teaching. Yes, what you did was good. Then we, he went, went back to the Buddha and checked with him. Oh, no, no, no. By father, I meant this. Ignorance is the father. That's the father of all the afflictions. <laughs> Mother, yes, attachment. Like that. So he listed the entire 12 links of the dependent origination leading into samsaric existence, which are to be eliminated. Oh, oh my. Did you say that? If I had heard you explaining this way at that time, it wouldn't have made any difference. It wouldn't have made any difference. That was the just the right thing to be heard by him, and he heard it correctly. Yeah, so these, these kind of teachings, are there, many, there are many forms of these kind of, what we call, for, for lack of a better term, twisted teachings. But we put perfect teachings on those occasions to those people in that situation. It's quite interesting to study them. They're, they are they come in the Kong. I don't even have an English term to convey them correctly. They're called Kong Dem Gong. Even the word is the Gong Dem Gong. The word itself suggests something, something, surreal, uh, <laughs> something unconventional about it. Gong Dem Gong. 
So eight types of gong teachings and eight types of them gong teachings. Let me just put it like that. <laughs> uh, out of each one of one, one of them, just one of them is this one. <laughs> there are others also. There's one. He said, there's one where Buddha says, "Oh, just attend to what is unimportant." <laughs> Just attend to what is un unimportant, not attend to important things. What did he mean? What is important to the world? Don't attend to them. What is least important to them? Attend to them, master them. We should have a session on this one day. That would be wonderful. Except I would have to hone up my English skill a little bit and then come up with some words that make, sen make some sense. And then from there you can take over and then refine them. And then... Yes. The, one of the main reasons why they, have, they refer to certain Buddhist teachings as being explicit and ones being implicit, you, the ones that you can take that don't need interpretation of ones that do, or is that a different? Implicit, different implicit is little different. A little different. Yeah, literal, non-literal is one. Provisional is another way of saying it, and the one that is most used is definitive and interpretive. Uh, yeah, but, but explicit, implicit means what is spoken clearly or not, but not necessarily. Uh, not, not, doesn't necessarily have to imply any twisted. So interpretive would refer to these types of stories where he's directed. Yeah. And we can't take them definitively. I mean. Yes. There's, we should have another session again on this system of interpretation and definitive teachings. That also has different levels of understanding in it. So one way of understanding definitive and interpretive is the most conventional one, literal, non-literal. But there's another another level of what we mean by definitive and what we mean by interpretive. Yeah, and so there's a whole system developed by Nagarjuna, and yeah, but not not, not developed. Yeah, developed by Nagarjuna, kind of kind of uh, uh, expanded by Nagarjuna, but implicitly conveyed in one of the sutras. In the sutras themselves, in the sutras themselves, there is a key there. To, to understand the teachings, except actually two keys, right? One, the way the Asanga understood and interpreted, and one, the way the Nagarjuna understood and interpreted. So they come, they both come up with two systems of, two systems of uh, classifying Buddha's teachings into definitive and, and interpreted. So, we have run out of time. And we are talking of two more sessions. We have run out of time now, and we were talking of two more sessions on those on those two different things. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I think that's good. Uh, we could stop here with this open-mindedness to search more. <laughs> okay. Let's dedicate.